Hello everyone and welcome to, you'll probably agree, I have Ian Simmons from Kicking the Seat Podcast. Yes. This time I got it right. <laughs> and uh, as always, we are talking about the 2019 Forgettable Academy Awards. Um, <laughs> what do you mean forgettable? These films, all of them are classics. That's destined to be in the pantheon yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone's going to forever remember... Uh, a Star is Born 6 or whatever Yeah, A Star is Born, number <laughs> 1,000. God damn it. All right. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to start off with, because uh, I got some emotions about this one. Not about the film, but about its director. All right. Jeez, I wonder which one this could be. But, so I saw Queen, which was the last movie that I saw. Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. Okay. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I meant to say that. <laughs> I, I I'm not even drunk right now. Like I, I, I'm just fucking up. All You're drunk on talking about the Oscars, which I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, and if there is one film that I would say, this is one of those Oscar years where I'm rooting for every movie but this one film. All right. And it is Bohemian Rhapsody because it's not exactly a bad movie. It's a perfectly adequate film that has no individualistic ch choices that would discern itself from any other musical biopic. Sure. And it could have been directed by anyone. It literally just hits every beat of mus musical biopic bingo. <laughs> and, uh, like, you have the band that breaks up. You have, like, the moment where someone's inspired by a song and they start playing it and then they cut to the concert. Oh, yeah. And it, it feels like Brian Singer was only there because of all the uh, behind the scenes drama, not just with the, the little boy hot tub rape shit, but also with the uh, <laughs> the fact that like he, they said like he was never on set and he got like in a, some sort of like physical confrontation with Rami Malek, who I think deserves to win the Oscar and I think will win the Oscar for best actor. Um, it felt like he was only there to direct like the final concert scene which is an amazing scene, but it goes on forever. Yeah. It's like 15 full minutes. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes, because I think that was the the time that they were allocated at Wembley Stadium for, uh, yeah. was, it, was it Live Aid? Yeah, yeah. Live Aid. Um, but here's the thing. I really liked that scene. Yeah. My only problem with it was... And I understand the logistics of trying to recreate those shots, you know, in the early 1980s. Yeah. But you could tell it was all like CG crowds and swoops and That's everything. That's what really bothered me. When they're yeah. on the stage performing, there's nothing like it. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had problems with Bohemian Rhapsody, some of which I didn't even understand until after I'd seen the movie because yeah. my understanding of Queen. I know people who are big fans of the band and, and Freddie Mercury and know the history. Uh, you know, they, the ones that I've talked to, have said it's not good because they take so many liberties with the timelines, with the characters, yeah. and melding characters and all that, uh, that it's just not honest. And I think if I had been a diehard and I'd gone and seen this bullshit, I would have been like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But going in just knowing the songs, I had a really good time, yeah. even though it's, it's poorly edited. They, they go from Hey, you want to, you know, let's, you can be in our band to one year later they're on tour. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, you need to fill some Yeah, of this like in less here. than a second they're famous. Yeah. Which I, I didn't mind that as much because the movie already knows that they're going to become famous. And I don't think it wanted to do the thing where you, you have to slowly watch them get to that point of being famous because we know what's going to happen. 
The big Some people is, do. I mean, yeah. this movie, I mean, it was a giant success, right? And I think a lot of people are coming into this, you know, like younger kids, who just know Queen probably from songs that appear on TV commercials. Yeah. Right? So there's, there's room to breathe here. Um, and I would watch Rami Malek do, you know, four hours as Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I would put him as the best actor, but I don't know who I'd put as the best actor, honestly. Uh, it's such a weird field this year. Yeah. But he was just so much fun. He really made this movie for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, Rami was the whole reason to see the film. I don't know what Sasha Baron Cohen's version would have oh. been like. Because he said... I, sorry, I want to... I, I hope that didn't, like, distort the no, sound. No, I, no, no, you have feelings. Please tell me. Go, go. Let it out soon. <laughs> no, I, that's, that's, I want to visit the alternate universe where his movie got made because it yeah. was apparently, from my understanding, is the, uh, the rights holders for the Mercury Estate or Queen or whoever uh, disagree with his kind of hard R, very honest look at Freddie Mercury and the band's relationship. So yeah. they, they came out with this PG-13 version of it. And I always thought that Sacha Baron Cohen looked oddly enough like Freddie Mercury, mm -hmm. uh, you know, without any kind of, you know, fake teeth or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, in a perfect world, I think we would have seen that version. Um, but, you know, you can't always get what you want. Yeah, like, I, I, I heard the argument was they wanted to focus more on sort of like his homosexual relationships. And I'm like, well, this movie did focus on that. You know? It talked about yeah. it, but didn't focus on it, which is something I appreciated because yeah. it's a, it's a different angle. You know? yeah, that, yeah. that is one of the, the few, I think, surprises in the movie was how they dealt with yeah. you know, his relationship. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess Cohen's version probably would have been a little more introspective, maybe a little less like a commercial for Queen. Sure. Uh, which, you know, this movie was definitely kind of like, oh, here's another awesome song that we remember. Here's another awesome song. And I don't know, it didn't really say anything different. It wasn't anything new. It was just kind of, eh, it was okay. I don't think it was deserving of the prestige of Best Picture. Oh, yeah, and I think there's uh, there's at least one, maybe two other movies in this, you know, the, the expanded list that we've yeah. had for the last few years yeah. uh, that certainly are, are weird choices. But, yeah, in the moment watching it, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know... The next day, I think I had just I'd forgotten that I'd seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm like, I want to see. Yeah. Oh wait, I just did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think moving on from that, uh, I, I guess uh, probably one of my favorite nominees. I'm tied between this and another one for my favorite picture was Roma. All right. Which I know there's uh, from what uh, Pat McDonald uh, has told me. There's there's a lot of uh, uh, people who are like in the foreign press who are uh, uh, Oscar voters this year. Not the foreign press, whatever. He knows more about this than I do. Hollywood foreign not, press is, uh, yeah. that's that's the Golden Globes, right? Yeah, but yeah, you're yeah. just talking about generally the foreign press, yeah, not there's the Hollywood foreigners. Yeah. There's foreigners oh in my there gosh. this year. We need to build a wall around the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, like, they have more influence over Roma, but I loved Roma because it was sort of this very methodical picture where Alfonso Cuaron kind of took a step back away from what he did with Gravity, where... That movie was more about its style than its substance. And here, this is a film that's about an old, you know, Mexico City that was once beautiful and something, you know, you could aspire to as you see it get torn apart. And the film just sticks with sort of like these very memory-like sort of camera movements where it's mostly just pans and tilts and stuff like that. Nothing too flashy. But there is, there are long dolly shots that kind of remind me a little bit of like Godard's Weekend. Um, but I, I liked it because the movie was a film that 
respected the audience's attention. It forced you to pay attention to it, and it's something that I uh, regret to say was not able to see on the big screen, but needs to be seen on the big screen because it utilizes a wide depth of field in it that is very often not used in movies. And I always say, like, you know, sure, you could be a good cinematographer with the shallow depth of field, but to me it's like cheating because you get to take all the other stuff out of focus. Usually with a wide one, you have to force everyone to look at something and to really understand why is that shot in there. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's like something a lot like what Tchaikovsky did. And yeah, it was a movie sort of, you know, of course, reminiscent of today where you have a maid who's stuck in a situation where she can't really speak up for herself. She can't really defend herself because either her psychotic boyfriend is going to kill her, you know, because she gets impregnated by this guy who's nuts. <laughs> and um, if she speaks up against, like, this rich family that she has, you know, she, she's sort of like this underclass citizen that'll be taken advantage of by the system. Sure. Yeah. What, what do you think of it? <laughs> well, I hated Roma. Oh, but no, that's good. I want to. I want to know why. Please. Uh, um, why. I don't. I don't know if we have that kind of time. But uh, no. no it, of course. It, here's the thing. I love Alfonso Cuarón. You know, yeah. I was a big fan of Gravity, mostly because you're right. There's not a whole lot to the story. But I think that is definitely, he created a cinematic, like you have to go to the movie theater and see this at least once. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like Interstellar, uh, you know, a movie that I, I don't think is very strong, but at least go see it in IMAX, you know? How dare you! Love save everything. <laughs> Sorry, do, you have, yeah. do, we have a, do we have a vomit bucket here? Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so no, here, and I, you know, Children of Men was one of my favorite. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. one of my all-time favorite movies. So I was excited yeah. to see anything that Guaran does, and I, I'm not caught up in his whole filmography. Yeah. Well, I'll give it a shot. Roma, you know, you're ta you're talking about uh, audience uh, engagement and that kind of thing. I know a lot of critics who are absolutely in love with this movie. In fact, I don't know mm. any other critics who don't like it. Oh wow! No. God, that sucks. I'm right. sorry, man. No, no, I, I know I, what it's like to be there. <laughs> look, I am. There's a reason my site is called Movie Reviews from the Last Guy Anyone Asks, because that's me. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, like, it, it's, I'm very curious about what, uh, and I haven't seen much written about this. What actual Netflix viewers think of Roma? Because mm. it's kind of genius to put this movie out on Netflix where literally everybody can see it. You know, the, yeah. the problem is, the complaint of a lot of Oscar movies is, they're movies that came out and no one bothered to see them because they're artsy-fartsy, and if they get a big release, that's kind of like a bonus. Maybe they're you can go see it. kind of artsy. There's a line that they straddle with the Academy. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. this year in particular, I mean, yeah. it's commercial everywhere, right? Yeah. But Netflix, anybody can watch, who's got a Netflix subscription, can watch Roma. Yeah. And my, I wonder about that opening like five minutes where it's just the, the shot and the reflections of the mop water on the floor and everything. I was like, I get it. Yeah, okay, I get it. that is true. Uh, and well, the, the, the whole thing I thought was just kind of obnoxious yeah. because I mean, the, the whole thing about panning from left to right. I was like, yes, you've made the same camera move 40 times in this movie. And yeah, the compositions are nice. Uh, but I wasn't invested in the story or the characters. As far as the maid goes, I didn't exactly understand why I was supposed to be on her side. She's a lousy maid. Like, when the guy, when the owner of the house comes home and he's stepping over dog shit in the driveway, he's like, how many times do I have to tell you to pick up the dog shit? Yeah. I'm like, uh, ideally, even if you're not, you know, working for the house, the answer is none. Because you're yeah. like, 
there there's a day's worth of dog crap in the driveway that yeah. people have to come through. It's kind of a neat house, like the driveway like is inside a, a, a covering, an awning or something, and you have to go yeah. through that to get home. And also, yeah, she gets impregnated by this guy. I don't know. I don't know enough about her. She's sort of a cipher, right? We yeah. don't know exactly where she comes from, how smart she's supposed to be. She sleeps with this random dude, unprotected. She gets pregnant. Uh, there is a great scene where he joins this band of revolutionaries, and there's yeah. a horrible shootout. And that's interesting stuff. But I couldn't get involved with any of the characters in this movie. Mm. And Koran says that he wrote this as a tribute to the women in his life. I'm like, I don't know if I want to so know these people. So he just randomly <laughs> knocked up women and left them, or something. No, I, I, I get the feeling it was yeah. like like his mom and his maid or whatever. Yeah. But there wasn't enough personal biography in this movie. It was yeah. all stuff that I'm supposed to bring to this. Yeah. And that that was a deal killer for me because what I'm watching in the film is just this screw up. I'm like, what are you doing? She is kind of an overly passive protagonist, I think. And I, I wish she did have a moment where she stood up for herself. But then again, it's like, think of like, if you're a maid, and I know they were in Mexico, but like, if you're like a, a maid in America, and you stood up for yourself. Like, what would happen if you said something? They'd fucking deport you or something. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I don't know that that's true. And I, I think, think that was sort of a reflection on that. Well, but this also takes place I mean, in the 1970s, right? Yeah, or but the, it's still relevant, 60s? you know. Maybe. I mean, but a lot, lots of things change over the course of, like, 40, 50 years mm -hmm. and in different countries. So without the context of the movie, I can sit there and think as a modern liberal American, oh, my God, this uh, it's so good that she didn't speak up. Whereas in the film, yeah. we find out that she's... The family is very compassionate towards her. They're very yeah. helpful. And I would think that if she spent any considerable amount of time with these people, she would know this is not the kind of environment where I need to be afraid to say, you know, hey, pardon me, because the kids think of me as like their aunt. Yeah. It's not like I started last week and now I'm pregnant. I'm going to be this big problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I don't know. But then again, if you're in that position and she has nowhere else to go, who knows? Like, the, the family could be like, we love you. Hey, get the fuck out. You know, but, could be, but yeah. again, I'm not meant to so, watch this as choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it just, like, from my perspective, it felt good that Kieran was having a movie where he took a step back from his own style, but he did have kind of, like, they weren't the most likable protagonists. Like, no. the, the mom, well, I don't know. I felt bad for the wife because her husband, you know, he, he had his Secret Service missions and, she couldn't, you know, get any intel on what was going on with him. But well, I, you know, and again, without getting much information about these characters, yeah. not that there's any excuse for a guy to leave his wife, but she's kind of, you know, weirdly clingy and hysterical about him and like chasing yeah. after him. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Is she genuinely psychotic? Or is he just an asshole and he's pushing her away and that's why she's acting this way and she's home and having to take care of these kids, although she has like a full house staff. I yeah. didn't know what was going on with any of these characters. And yeah. the movie is like two hours long. It, it was kind of like a two and a half hour film about like a girl who had like a really bad one night stand. You know, like that's really what it is. Yeah, yeah so again, I, I understand that I am yeah. probably alone in this perspective, and I, yeah. I'm, I love that so many people love this movie. Yeah. Because I never want people to hate movies, but I just, it wasn't working for me. But no, I do I do understand your perspective, though, because it, it was, it could have used a little bit of trimming, you know, because at a certain point it did kind of repeat itself. No, it was a good reflection on the America that we live in today and what it's like to be someone who's impoverished who can't stand up for themselves. And you don't know if you have trust in your other man, but then you can find out if you do trust people, they can help you out as they did with Cleo in the end. Yeah. But, you know, 
uh, moving on from that, uh, I'd like to move on to Vice. Uh, I reviewed this one already, and yeah. Okay. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, what, what do you? I'll, I'll start with you first. Uh, what do you think of Vice? I don't. Uh, <laughs> I hated Vice too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing: Vice is, I think, a movie that I would have loved in 2004. Yeah. Or 2008 is a companion piece to uh, to W by Oliver Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but that's way better than W. <laughs> Maybe I don't remember much as much about W except that uh, I think Richard Dreyfuss's ten minutes of Dick Cheney was better than Christian Bale's two hours as Dick Cheney. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bale can do anything, yeah. but my problem with him, his performance as Dick Cheney, comes back to the screenplay. Yeah. Um, this movie didn't teach me anything about Dick Cheney. I was really excited because I loved yeah. The Big Short. I think that was mm. a, an entertaining and informative movie yeah. about the market crash and the housing crisis and things. So I kind of went to this thinking, okay, Adam McKay is going to, I knew a lot about Dick Cheney. I was a political junkie back in, you know, 2001 yeah. on. Uh, I'm like, all right, let's get inside the man. And all it was was a highlight reel of things that the left was attacking him for, you know, 15 <laughs> yeah. years ago. I'm like, there's nothing, there's no humanity here, there's no explanation. Uh, I just didn't get why I was watching this movie. See, that's what I liked about it, was that it was unflinchingly honest about how horrible this person was. And uh, the thing was, like, like if you see a movie like W, you still kind of had like a sympathetic angle towards uh, George Bush, where you know he he was doing a job that was way beyond his intellectual capacity, and then the pressures of it got to him, and he started to collapse under it. But it was very kind of rushed through the door and stuff like that. And here I was watching this movie. I'm like, well, I hope they don't try to make something where. They make a politician look like a nice guy in the end. And the only moment you get of that is when he accepted his daughter yeah. for being who she was. But then even then he betrayed her trust. Um, yeah, you get the feeling that you know his relationship with his daughter was more, he was defensive of her because she was his. Yeah. You know, it, it was strictly. If it was anybody else's daughter, it wouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. It was kind of like uh, that. The whole thing with the uh, the eighties with uh, with the treatment of, of gays in society yeah. uh, is like you know if if you have a gay cousin, you know maybe you'll understand, but otherwise, you know, yeah. it, it, screw them basically. Um, <laughs> like the AIDS crisis and all of this this other like horrible stuff that's happened in our history. Yeah. But the problem I had with uh, Vice, I want to say W. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Cheney, for as much as I don't like him and I don't like what he did, yeah. he's still a human being. Yeah. And this movie presented him as a cartoon down to Christian Bale's, you know, penguin cantankerous impression of him. Yeah. Uh, Everything speaking in absolute monotone. Right. And you've yeah. got Amy Adams playing Lynn Cheney, uh, reprising her role from, uh, what was that Paul Anderson movie? Oh, yeah, 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 from, from uh, The Master. The Master, yeah. yes. Where she's just kind of an uptight wife who uh, does what God wants or whatever some higher power wants. Kind of working the angles behind the scenes. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Uh, so I just, there was nothing new in Vice. Uh, you know, I felt like this is the kind of movie that, again, sort of like Bohemian Rhapsody, is made for a younger audience who probably wasn't politically yeah. aware at that time. And yeah. I think that's, in a way, sort of dangerous because as much as we like to think of Dick Cheney and that whole crew as one-dimensional cartoons, mm -hmm. they weren't. And I think it's important to understand how they as people got into these positions of power. I didn't buy yeah. the whole Don Rumsfeld thing at all because, you know, I watched a lot of his appearances on Meet the Press and everything, but yeah. I guess behind closed doors he was like this profane, like, weirdo. I'm like, 
I, I need more here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, there was such a dramatic switch there. I'm like, I don't know if this is true or if this is artistic license or if this is, like, the opening of the movie, they have this title card where they're talking about, you know, we did our best, we fucking tried in terms of like yeah. digging into this mysterious Dick Cheney. He yeah. wasn't mysterious. No. He was all over the place in the media. He was right out front. Yeah. He got this reputation as this string-pulling, shadowy figure. Yeah. But if you watch Meet the Press every week, you'd see him on there or see him giving an interview somewhere else. And my question is, in trying to tell this story, yeah. did they try it by going back and reading, you know, 15 years of Salon articles? Yeah. Or did they actually talk to Republicans or people that knew them? Did they yeah. not get access? Like, what's the backstory behind this movie? Yeah. I want to see that. Yeah, see, I, I don't know if you could make a third dimension for Cheney, because much like, like, imagine if you try to make Scarface where Tony Montana was a sympathetic figure. Well, I Tony Montana, no, he's a fictional character. Yeah. He had to represent something. Dick right, Cheney right. was an actual man. I know, but he wasn't a good man. It's like, hey, let's make a movie about, I, I shouldn't say this, but a movie about Hitler and make him a good guy. I'm not, or, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I want to see a movie. I've seen the cart- sympathetic in some not way. Not even or, sympathetic, just understandable yeah. how, because a person is not born evil necessarily. I mean, right, you could make right. that argument. But you like know, see how he was shaped into something like that. Yeah, because yeah, we get yeah. the yeah, he was a drunkard who somehow failed his way up to Yale, but this is told in like these choppy like, you know, yeah. two years later kind of thing. Yeah. And like he's a he's a sloppy town drunk and then he's at Yale and then he's in Washington. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah, is yeah. this? Yeah, it did jump through the timeline a lot. Um one one I would have I would have actually liked to have seen why he became the way he does. Like for for instance, if you made a movie about Trump uh, what the reason Donald Trump is a scumbag the way he is is because when he was growing up, you know there were accounts where people were saying it, when he was having his hotel he was saying don't let any and he would use like some horrible language, you know involving people of another race in sure. his hotels. So he taught him to hate other people, and then you saw him become the man he was. Mm-hmm. So like you know the, maybe they did something like that with uh, Dick Cheney that would have been more interesting. I did. I mean this is kind of a movie where. If you're gonna go in and you already hate Dick Cheney, you're gonna get what you want, and you're gonna like what you get. Yeah. You know, but if uh, you're going in and you want something a little more, you're not gonna get that. Which is why movies kind of, you know, for instance, if you see Nixon by uh, Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. that movie works because they still show Nixon as a shit, but he actually does have a very sympathetic angle towards the end, where he just kind of wanted to please his mother, and he wanted to uh, live up to something. And you kind of see those regrets on his shoulders. In the end, you actually kind of feel bad for him. Something like, uh, something like uh, the uh, uh, Vice. It's just uh, I keep trying to call it backseat because that's what it originally was called. Hmm. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it seemed kind of one note. It seemed a little. It, it dived too much into where Adam McKay wasn't confident in his choices as a director, where it would always jump from like these fourth wall breaking comedic segments you know with, the end credits rolling yeah the, the end credits rolling mark, yeah. doing lady Macbeth, you know doing all that and it would have been nice to have seen uh adam mckay's play is straight because the best scenes in that film were the ones where in the beginning when they're in the war room and 9-11 just happened and dick cheney's calling over his lawyer when he's playing straight he's doing great it's like we know you came from a comedic background but really flex that dramatic muscle adam here, here's, yeah, let me, there's the point I'll put on this. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the idea of the Oscars and sort of the controversy about award shows in the last few years. Yeah. You know, too many speeches, too, many, too much liberal politicking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got 
very conservative in-laws who live three houses down from me. Yeah. My hope in watching Vice is that I would come to um, watch this as a movie that I could potentially say, watch this. Yeah. What do you think of your hero? Yeah. You know, what, what, what do you think of this critique, this balanced critique of a film yeah. that was, was offered to a greater degree in the big short? Yeah. But if I were to sit them down and watch this, be like, yeah, this is why we don't listen to you people and why we're winning. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> this is more of a fuck you, I know I'm right. That's kind of what, that was the thing I liked about it was, I, I liked it and I disliked it. I didn't like the fact that like there wasn't any sort of angle to Cheney where you could maybe understand him, but I also liked the fact that it was unapologetic in its angle. Sure. Um, so moving on from that, I guess we'll move on to the, sorry to make you uncomfortable, Ashley, but the race films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is the Oscar race, after all. Yeah, it is. Uh, so we'll start out with Green Book, which, I don't know, it was like a cute audience pleaser. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know, I, I felt like that movie definitely could have had like 30 minutes trimmed from it. Because after they did like the fifth scene where Mahershala Ali goes into like a southern bar and people are like yelling names at him and then Viggo Mortensen diffuses the situation and then yeah. everything kind of works out and they're like on the road again and everything's fine. I'm like, okay, like this could be a little, this could use some shortening. Uh, I mean, but again, this formula is familiar. Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of like the, uh, the bromance kind of film. Yeah. You know, um, and I did, you know, of course, if you ever want to win it over someone's heart to have your movie end on Christmas Day, yeah. <laughs> where everyone gets together. And yeah. you know what? I, I, I did kind of like that. It was a familiar formula, but it was nice. I'm not sure if it was best picture nice. You know, I think it was more like, a, oh, wow, I found this on Amazon Prime. This was a pretty good movie nice. Yeah. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? You know, maybe we can do a twofer here because yeah. I watched Black Klansman. Yeah, they're like complete opposites, which is the next one next to here. Sort yeah. of. Uh, I watched, uh, like thematically, I think they're almost the same movie. Yeah, um, well, they're the same elements. Of, yeah. yeah, because you know, I watched Black Klansman, which I really didn't care for. I liked parts of it, but my problem with that, and we'll get to that in a minute, yeah. is that uh, you know, uh, the main character was not the main character. He didn't change at all. Yeah. The, his sidekick did. His, the movie was about his journey. In Green Book, you have... Uh, Mahersha Ali's character, uh, he changes, you know, dramatically he from changes, the beginning. Yeah. Vigo doesn't. But no, yeah. Vigo does. Uh, he, it is a matter of they both have the same problem. You've yeah. got this New York Bronx, uh, you know, tough, you know, semi-mob guy, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, mob yeah. adjacent. He, uh, he was, you know, yeah, bouncer. he was a bouncer. Yeah, he was, he was more of a. He didn't work for the mob, but if the mob needed like someone to throw him out of a club, yeah, and he, out he, of him, he knew people. He could he could he get work anyone. if he wanted, yeah. right? Yeah, um, but he, Tony Lip was his name. Yeah. Who it turns out he was a, an actual actor. I looked this up um, because in the end, where they do the pictures, like here's what the real person looks yeah, like. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, was that guy in The Sopranos? And he was. He was in The Sopranos and Goodfellas and a whole bunch oh, of stuff. Well, he was just playing himself. Yeah. Right, but he was. The point is, like, he had this really weird arc. I want to see like Green Book Two or something uh, to find out what happened to these characters after the story ends. But so he gets tasked with driving this uh, African American pianist from New York, doing a tour of the Midwest down yeah. to the Deep South and then back again. Yeah. Um, and. Tony Lip is, uh, you know, he's been sheltered in this Bronx life. He's horribly racist to the point where he's got some uh, plumbers over and they drink lemonade out of a glass. He throws the glasses away. 
which is yeah. astonishing. Well, Tony wasn't racist. He just he just had stereotypes in his mind. That he thought was funny. Especially when he's buying <laughs> the KFC, and he's like, come on, eat the fucking thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, which is great. But yeah. uh, look, maybe that's a semantics argument. I don't know. But when you're throwing away glasses because someone of another race drank out of them, I don't that, even, wait, what scene was that? That was, the, that was like the beginning of the movie. Oh, when, when I don't even remember that. Yeah, <laughs> he comes home from the he comes home from the yeah. Copa and he yeah. passes out and he wakes up the next morning and everybody's in his living room watching sports. Yeah. And he's like, What are you guys doing here? Yeah. And the one friend points to the kitchen and there's two black uh, like service repairmen or something oh, there. Yeah, okay, okay. And and they're like, you know, was her name Connie, I think the wife? Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Connie had some people over. I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> they have to, I didn't even remember the that. gang has to yeah. be there to make sure there's no trouble. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, he's not, you know, burning crosses or anything, but he's definitely in this bubble. Yeah. Um, Mahershala Ali's character, Don, is uh, in a different kind of bubble, whereas yeah. he grew up very cultured and, you know, almost turning his back on African American heritage and, and cultural roots. Mm -hmm. And through this road trip, he learns to connect with his past. And Tony learns that, you know, there's a greater world outside of this bubble where things get really dark and dangerous, mm -hmm. where the attitudes that he thinks is kind of like, oh, you know, I live in the big city, there's segregation, but, you know, kind of what's the harm? Everyone's kind of on their, you know, different sides. Sure. When he goes down south, he's, he's, you know, people are being, you know, harassed and beaten and murdered. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, awakens him to the fact that he needs to understand everybody as people on an individual level rather than you know these stereotypes you put it right right, right. Uh, you know with black Klansmen uh, you've got Adam Driver's character is you know he's he's Jewish uh, he's playing a Colorado cop who goes undercover um, with uh, with his new rookie partner who's a African-American you know rookie cop gets the clan on the phone and start, sets up the sting operation, but he needs a white guy to go in to yeah. like go undercover with the clan. Yeah. Adam Driver never connected with his Jewish heritage and he wasn't forced to until he was in this situation where everyone is like, you're not a Jew, are you? We hate the Jews. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, no, I, I renounce, you know, you know, he uses all the expletives in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so these, these are kind of twin movies, but what I loved about Green Book, even though it is the more it's the flatter. It's you know it's like Peter Farrelly. It's yeah. it's a crowd pleaser. I think it's PG thirteen because there's one f bomb in there. Yeah. But then there's like every other every racist epithet in the books is in this yeah. movie. And like, how does that work? Um, but it is the kind of movie that you can sit down and watch, and there's dimension to it. And you can watch both of these characters kind of grow. The filmmakers fill in the scenery. You don't have to ask questions about like what was America like back then? Why mm. were things the way that they were? With Black Klansmen. Spike Lee gets so far up his own ass stylistically that there's these giant holes that kind of form. Like, I don't yeah. understand where this character's coming from. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the main uh, black cop, Ron, is the same cocky, self-assured, barges in and gets his way for yeah. no apparent reason guy at the beginning of the movie, or at the end as he is at the beginning. He doesn't yeah. learn anything. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's frustrating. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I will agree with you on that, actually. And um, Green Book, uh, I didn't see Vigo learning as much because he seemed like a good-hearted guy from the beginning. I didn't get the. Uh, he is. It's a, it's part a, that, it's a it, subtler transformation. Yeah. Um, and he he learns to. But he does eliminate a lot of uh, stereotypes, like when they were talking about you're black. I'm blacker than you are because I came from, you know, the Bronx and I didn't have as much. And da, 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 da. Yeah, it, that is a great scene yeah. in that car because it does point to. 
you can have the the skin color yeah. but if you don't have the experience you know what what is yeah, that what does it what matter does that mean and and why can't wider society understand yeah. that and then same but thing? yeah but then like when Maharshalag like gives his viewpoint I guess this this is kind of he kind of gave like the Oscar nominee clip there where he said you know wherever I go because he's kind of like this very snooty sort of highfalutin sort of individual where he says you know what I'm black but my own people don't know how to um, embrace me because of um, you know kind of like how articulate I am and what I do and the places I perform and then when I go to places that I perform uh, people don't uh, you know people won't like let me have the same luxuries as they have you know it was certainly a great moment when he went into that restaurant in the end and he he stood his ground and he said look i'm gonna perform here or like i'm gonna give me i i should be able to eat here and if i can't i won't perform for you mm -hmm. you know so it was like it was something they learned from each other and it was a crowd pleaser you're starting to make me like this movie a little more now actually <laughs> now i think about it i love green uh, book i'm not yeah. really pulling for any of the nominees I didn't love it, but year, i liked but it a lot but yeah. uh, black klansman i liked a lot but um, it did seem, my main issue with Black Klansman was, I just thought, uh, John Davis Washington, who's Denzel's son, you could just tell that was Denzel's son, because, God, he was boring in it. Like, his <laughs> performance was bad. Like, he just, like, honestly, like, Denzel, he sounded whiter than fucking Adam Driver. Like, it, like Denzel's son, he sounds like the impersonation the black guy gives of, like, a white person. He's like, oh, what's going on here, you know? Well, that's, you see, and that's what I was talking about. Yeah. You know, Spike Lee was so concerned about the artistry of his movie, which normally yeah. I don't, dis, you know, uh, yeah. discourage. But the the end scene where both cops are escorting the clan on this mission. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ron, uh, John David Washington's character, does not make any attempt to change his voice. Yeah. To disguise it, and we're just meant to. Yeah. Think, like, how did they yeah. not believe that that was him? Like, how did he? How did he go from like Adam Driver's like very baritone fucking Buffalo Bill voice? <laughs> to uh, you know, uh, uh, John David Washington being like, "Oh, hello, I'm Ron." Like, yeah. really? You didn't you didn't fucking think for a second like you said? Well, they did say for a second like you sound different on the phone. I love the casting of Topher Grace. Casting of Topher Grace. Yeah, so, he was he was because wonderful. if you hate Topher Grace, <laughs> like if you saw <laughs> Spider Man three and you're like, "Fuck you." You know, I like Topher Grace, but I think probably just because everyone beats up on him so much. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we're going to cast you as David Duke, and we're going to make you as hateable as possible. Well, what yeah. I liked about it is they didn't, they well, didn't they, he was not a cartoon character. There, no, yeah, there was, he wasn't like a cartoon bad guy. He, he, acted, he acted like a nice guy. But then he like, you know, he would have all that racist shit underneath. Yeah. And, and, he was just like a nerdy dude. Who just like once in a while drop the f bomb, n bomb, you know? Well, and that's the thing is, I think if there's parallels to today, you can see a lot of you know what we're seeing with uh, the the kind of threatened white male you know culture. Oh, you mean uh, like the ending of Black Klansman when they like flat out show Charlottesville, which I actually liked because I, you know what, Spike Lee. Here's the thing: you're gonna walk. This was sort of like a return to form. For like do the right thing. Sure. This felt sort of like a spiritual sequel to that in a way, where the you had you know sort of like Spike Lee in his fuck you period, and then you had him kind of like trying to experiment things. What was that heist movie he did way back? I that don't was remember. Like, Meh. Oh, was that yeah. the uh, the eleventh? No, not forget it. No, I, I think if you're thinking of like Twenty uh, Fifth Hour, or whatever, I Maybe. fucking love that movie with Edward Norton. Yeah. But um, 
And this was Spike Lee going back to what he knows best. You know, what he knows is movies that take on the system, take on things that are relevant to today. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this movie was absolutely relevant to today. The characters do start and end at the same point. And much like Vice, this is a film that kind of preaches to the choir. Yeah. Where you know what it's going to say from the beginning and you know what it's going to say to the end. But then again, if this movie were to come out, let's say, when Obama was in office, I don't think I'd feel strongly about it. I'd just be like, okay, yeah, that's true. But because we have a psychopathic orange man in office, we we have we, we, we see it and we, we say, yeah, fuck that, fuck that, I fucking agree. But in the end, it's... It's a film that kind of harps on the same note, which is a good note. But you know what? At least Spike sticks to its guns, and if you don't like it, you can fuck off and go home. <laughs> and that's what I—that's what I really enjoy about him. He's—he's a, he's a guy who does not give a shit about what you think, and he's short like me, so short people represent. All um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I like I, the, the Charlottesville thing I thought was a bit on the nose is the wrong word because. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would see that more as an effective capper to a movie like Do the Right Thing. Mm. Um, the other obnoxious thing was there's like four or five different, uh, you know, clips in the montage, and they were all from Charlottesville, which is weird because typically when you see that ending thing, it's like, here's something, here's some horrible racist rant, you know, activity over here, and here's something from you know Colorado and Charlottesville. They could have shown different Atlanta. things. They could have shown right. a lot of things outside of Charlottesville. Right, but that's the thing is like it gives the impression to someone watching who doesn't know anything. Like, what was so like Charlottesville happened a couple of years ago. And it just one felt person like Spike didn't do died. enough homework it, for the ending. It just he felt just like if there. you're making a movie about a society in which the clan is literally like running, you know, half the country, yeah. and then flashing forward 50 years and using Charlottesville as some kind of a weird representation to say that, yeah, it's still actually like that today, I just think it misses the mark a bit. Yeah. And then for the last one to make this, uh, to end this awkwardness, uh, <laughs> you I Look, yeah. I, full disclosure, yeah. uh, I am half black. I don't know if you knew that. My father was, uh, well, he's dead now, but he was a yeah. black man. My mom was a white woman. Okay. Um, so that's that's probably why I have a weird bias toward the Green Book, because that uh, whole conversation in the car about identity, I was like, exactly, I, I want to see more yeah. movies about race that are about this particular problem. Yeah, rather than just kind of having a single side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, Baharshal Ali was like the nerdiest dude ever. And you just want that dude to crack a smile. You're like, come on, man. But on the other hand, I understand because like, it's the second I wondered, I had that same thought, I'm like, why don't you smile? I'm like, oh, because he's had a lifetime of like being black in, you know, the And gay. Yeah, black and gay and a, a genius and a pianist. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> Why? What other reasons are there possibly for someone to get beaten up at that which, area which, in that period of time? Which really would have sucks. Would have suck. Look at me. Uh, which really sucks when you're a black gay guy whose profession rhymes with penis back then. Right, well, but, well, I was thinking about that because he was married at one point, and it was, I yeah. was thinking like, he didn't leave his wife because he wanted to be a pianist. Yeah, it's because he wanted to be on. Pe Never mind. Because he wanted penis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> but surprisingly, the movie that had sort of the most complex overtones was Black Panther in terms of race. I yeah. swear to God, and not because it was a Marvel film. Because here's my thoughts with Black Panther. I'm like, yes, maybe not deserving of Best Picture, no. but God damn, it made some good points where they had a magical thing in the movie called Vibranium where 
Like, they could have made, like, their whole race, like, fucking, like, the race in mm -hmm. the world because they had this magical thing. But they kept it to themselves because just like, you know, the white man, they're power hungry. They want to keep it for themselves. The, the colonizers, and, yeah. yeah. and it wasn't until uh, Michael J. White's character, did I get that right? Or is that, no, that's Spawn. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. I know, you've got, you got Spawn in the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got Michael B. Jordan in there, and he was the one saying, no, you should distribute this to everyone. I'm right and you're wrong. You know, he had the, uh, the, the nice thing with recent villains, which is they have a good point. Jogor had a good point. Thanos has a good point. Michael B. Jordan, oh, what was it, Kill, Killmonger. Eric Killmonger. Killmonger, yeah. <laughs> Killmonger, uh, he had the best point, which is like, this is a movie that, let's say, if it had, if they gave Ryan Coogler sort of the freedom that Christopher Nolan did with The Dark Knight, mm -hmm. it could have gone that step above. Yeah. But because this is a Marvel film, and they have their sort of straight formula where you pull the lever, you need a CGI battle in the end. Yeah. You know, you need to have like all these characters interconnecting with each other. It stops itself from reaching that point. Yeah. But I love the message in that movie. I I loved the message through most of the movie. Yeah. Which is a very weird position for a comic book hero movie to have. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I mean, at the end they kind of step out of it, and we'll see how it gets resolved in the the sequel. Mm -hmm. And there will be a sequel, despite what. Avengers Infinity oh, War Part alive. 1 might Disney's not throwing that money away. Ugh. Anyway, don't get me started on Avengers. Yeah. But, uh, no, what I liked is that uh, T'Challa, Black Panther, yeah. is, is he's this, a, a black nationalist yeah. who has essentially built a wall around his nation yeah, and yeah, is yeah. not letting anybody in and yeah. doesn't want to share his resources with the rest of the world. Which is, you know, that's, that's you know, you apply that to uh, outside the Marvel Universe, that is not a very heroic or popular position to take, especially yeah. in this country right now. Yeah. Um, he come, and the, the adversary, the villain in the film, is the one who says, no, we should share all of our resources, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, with the wider world. Let them know who we are. You know, we could do great things. Although his idea of great things is taking over the world, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the story went a little step above. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, it flips back on itself. So towards the end, you know, both characters learn lessons. Uh, you know, Killmonger learns his a little bit too late, and it's still that element of pride that won't let him, you yeah. know, accept, you know, love, essentially. Yeah. Because they're family. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you haven't yeah, seen it by now. Uh, yeah, everyone's seen Black Panther. Yeah. And that's, talking about the Oscars, like, I remember earlier in the year there was that idea of opening it up to the most popular movie category, which they got rid of. This feels like a concession to that. This, this is exactly what it was. Does this and Bohemian Rhapsody, like, what movies made the most money this year? Yeah, that and, you know, of course, Disney, they own Hollywood. Sure. And, of course, uh, the Oscars is a popularity contest, and this is part of that popularity contest where they're like, well, let's see, it's a very popular film, it made a lot of money. And, you know, people always wanted a comic book film. You know, let's make a compromise here. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about comic book movies that deserve to be nominated for Best Picture, it would be Dark Knight and Logan, you know. But this one, you know, in terms of the filmmaking, not so much. In yeah. terms of the messagery, I did like it, but no. It was spectacularly yeah. acted. I would have uh, swapped out um, uh, 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 Sorry to Bother You for Black Panther. Which I, I, I've yeah. not seen Sorry to Bother You yet. Oh, I need to catch up on that. It's good. It's good. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the 100 millionth version of A Star is Born. 
Uh, I would say, considering this is like, I only saw the very, 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 very first one, which uh, even if you watch the new one uh, today, it definitely has like all the same things that, that were like in the original. Um, even the end? Where he dies? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm just gonna let that hang out there yeah, yeah. and not, not spoil it for no, people. No, like literally sorry. in the in the nah. It's like this is unedited. Who cares? <laughs> All right, spoilers. Uh, but like yeah, like at the, at the very end, it's same thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like as, as a retelling of it for the millionth time, I appreciated sort of the gritty down-to-earth kind of uh, aspect of it where yeah. our main character meets um, the girl like in the shady bar and she's kind of doing like you know like a little sexy singing show um, I thought uh, I didn't find it that believable that he would be that persistent to want to talk to this girl because well, he was drunk yeah <laughs> well he was drunk but also like he's around like a million like hot girls all the time sure i i, and, I, I like get... he would literally drive to her house the next day and and want to like have her visit him and stuff like that like this this was a movie that was uh very well shot mm -hmm. it was uh well paced i really liked the characters in it especially um sam uh elliot sam thank you uh, sam elliot's uh uh, sort of brother character, which I thought that was his uncle. I thought it was like his dad or something like no, that. No, no, no. He, yeah, well, I mean, like when I first saw them together, yeah. like, oh, what's going on? Oh, they're brothers? Wow. And then you find out the backstory and the the age difference, and it's you know yeah. sad and fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, it was it was a movie where uh, one character learns something and the other character sort of does but does not. But one thing I absolutely loved about this movie, which Oh God, I'm such a hypocrite, but um, th this is a film that really depicts alcoholism as someone who struggled with it himself very accurately. Okay. Where they didn't villainize the drunk. They didn't turn him into an abusive asshole or anything like that. Like actually, when he was drunk, he was really likable. Yeah. And, and you kind of wanted to be around the guy. And I know I'm saying this, which is ironic because my show takes place in a bar and I drink <laughs> on the show. But I've learned to drink in moderation, which takes real responsibility. Um, that, that this was a movie that that depicted that so well. But you know, I, I don't know. Outside of that, I I thought again, this was a very well put together film. I don't think it was an amazing film. Right. I just thought you know this was kind of like a maybe a three out of four star film. Uh, Lady Gaga, of course, was fantastic. I kind of wanted her to have more of more of a chance to show off her talents in the movie than you know focus so much on Bradley Cooper. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, as someone who did all of those things, like directing, producing, acting in it, writing it, he did an amazing job. Yeah. And you know what? It was a good rendition of a classic story. And you do generally feel, especially in the uh, scene when he's in rehab uh, with Lady Gaga, and he just breaks down crying. Like, I actually got choked up in that scene because I know what it's like when you're there and, and, and you're, you're just defeated because you know of all the stupid shit that you've done. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it was it's a good recommendation for me. I think it's worthy of uh, Best Picture. Uh, I don't think it is the Best Picture, but it was a very good film. I liked it. 
But I do, I will have to say one more thing, which is I kind of wish movies didn't glorify fame so much because you have Bohemian Rhapsody, which is about people performing in front of thousands of other people. You have A Star is Born, which is about performing in front of thousands of people. And we keep feeding society this fictitious image of either you're famous or you're nothing. And I know that's kind of ironic because I have a YouTube show and I'm trying to become YouTube famous. <laughs> but it's true. Like, just because you love something doesn't mean you have to be famous. Doesn't mean you have, to have thousands to love you. And I think we have this sycophantic love with fame that is that is prevalent in this film and in Rhapsody. Like, you know, you think of that scene in Rhapsody when Rami Malek was saying, oh, what did you study? Oh, you were going to do this? Oh, what would you study? Well, for your information, it was I was going to be a genetic engineer. Yeah. You know, and you just think, oh, really? So be, being a doctor or an engineer is less important than being a rock star. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true, and I don't think that's a healthy thing to teach everyone. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just tired of that theme throughout every movie. But outside of that personal bias, this is a well-done movie. Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was very much surprised by A Star Is Born because I like Bradley Cooper. I'm yeah. a big fan of Lady Gaga's music. Wasn't so knocked out by her performance in this movie. Yeah, it was more her singing than her performance, yeah. Right, and then partially that may be because the focus was essentially on Bradley Cooper. Send flowers to Glenn Close. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Close. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, but as far as the fame thing, uh, it, the movie surprised me because it is about fame, but it's also about the dark side of fame and the idea that just because you reach that superstar status, you bring into that whatever you had before you were famous. Yeah. And it wasn't enough to satisfy that black hole that was in the middle of uh, Jackson Maine, Bradley Cooper's character. Yeah. And it's, it's a tragedy. And I think this movie is oddly anti-fame. Hmm. Uh, because it does, you know, there's not a happy ending. It's not like all of the millions of dollars, whatever they spend on rehab and trying to put their, you know, relationship back together works. You know, it's a very, uh, it's a dark, dark message. And, uh, you know, Lady Gaga's character, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but uh, for her character's uh, name. I'll look it up. <laughs> but we'll just call her Lady Gaga for now. Yeah. Uh, she's got to have a life and ostensibly a career after this. So I was Allie. I, that was Allie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I almost want to see a, a sequel to this movie to find out because, like, the yeah. story doesn't end here. Yeah. And as much as, and I would like to see what she does with that. Does she continue singing? Does she continue singing, but like going back to the being in the bars? Yeah. Or does she somehow need the fans? Because as much as movies glorify, uh, you know, fame and stardom. Uh, fans make up that fame and stardom. You know, people yeah. can have relationships with their fans, and, and people can get meaning out of the art that they consume, whether it's movies or a rock concert or whatever. So it's not this movie does not portray uh, stardom as a one-dimensional thing. Yeah, I have not seen the other incarnations of A Star Is Born, but something that strikes me is that this is the kind of film that there could be a 900th version of it, you know, yeah. five years from now, because the, the fame landscape, the media landscape is changing so much yeah. that this, uh, the components of this movie are going to be drastically different in a few years. Yeah. I still think it's a movie that does glorify fame, though, because if Lady Gaga's character didn't become, you know, Ali or whatever, mm -hmm. but like, it's like she would have been nothing. 
and that's kind of what the movie like shows us. I, I don't think. And that, even if Bradley Cooper didn't become famous, he still would have drunken himself into a stupor and died. But the thing was, because they were famous, they became somebody. So the fans, like, yes, they make them, but in the end, the fans are just background characters. There's something that's there to just satisfy our protagonist, Ego. Well, here's the thing. If you look at Andrew Dice Clay's character, you know, that's Alex. Yeah, by dad. the way, the return of Dice. Yeah, and he was, he was really good in this role. You know, he was, very yeah. very surprising. But, you know, in terms of being anti-fame, you know, he was a guy that everyone told him when he was younger that he could have been, you know, in entertainment and, and really made mm -hmm. it. I think, did he say Sinatra told him he was good once or something like that? Yeah. And he ended up just running, a, you know, quote-unquote, just running a limo company. Yeah. But, you know, even though he didn't become the next Frank Sinatra, he still had a great life, you know? Yeah. He raised an amazing daughter who had her own dreams and aspirations. He discouraged her from pursuing that, but not because of any kind of, like, fame thing it's because of what his perception of you know that rejection yeah. was so yeah there is the, the the glitz and the glamour of fame but there's so many different dimensions to yeah. what it does to people and I think we see glimpses of that and that the, that enough in A Star is Born that I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking this is uh, this is just a glamour you know drama free candy coated yeah. you know pop experience oh no no it's certainly not candy coated but in the end, it's like even with Dice, you, you see that in a way he is kind of living vicariously through his daughter. And that doesn't, know. but that does not speak uh, highly of fame or the the desire for it, the hunger for it. It's, it shows it as a destructive force that takes your attention away from the good that you have in the moment, the quality of your own life, imagining that there is some quality it that might, you don't have. It might, but it still was, and the whole selling point of the movie is that they became famous, thus they became a star, thus. Their, their life is more rich in a lot of ways, which they have to look back on themselves and appreciate what they have for what they have gained. And at the end of the day, the movie's saying, hey, you can do it too. If a famous guy finds you and wants to be in a relationship with you and you have talent, you can make it there. And it's just something that- And then that, that person will kill themselves. Yeah, well, again, that was, <laughs> but you know, but still like, would you rather die broke and lonely or like be married to someone who uh, you know, might kill themselves, but still is amazing. Now, the similarity between the um, original and uh, the new version is the same thing happens. You have Bradley, Co you had uh, the uh, the original version wasn't about singers, but about uh, actors. And the, uh, I don't remember the actors in the original one. I'm, I'm fucking old. <laughs> I, I'm fucking young. I Whatever. Say. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Essentially, like it was the same plotline. This girl wants to become a famous actor, actress. She meets this actor, and then he puts her in a movie role. He's an alcoholic. He dies of alcoholism. He makes a scene in an award show. Okay. Oh my and, God! I for, I blocked that scene out. That that was an Oscar-worthy scene in in the yeah. new version yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, him at the Grammys or whatever. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, he, he pulled like a Kanye almost, and uh, that with the yeah. you know pissing on his <laughs> his pants. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Which, uh, but, but yeah, like that same things are only in all the other versions, and there's a glorification of fame. But yes, it does show the darker side of it. But we've seen that story so many times where someone gets to the darker side of the fame. I, you know, it's like Citizen Kane. The guy got a lot of power, became famous, and he got consumed by it, and he just fucked everything up in his office, and then he dies in the end. <laughs> Although that was. Um, 
a little different. That was about being in politics, but still, yeah. the same yeah. slight difference. Same, between same thing though. Born. Like same, same sort of thing where you get power and then you know it destroys you. But you know, when Lady Gaga doesn't destroy her, it ends with her singing an amazing concert with thousands of fans cheering her on, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, <laughs> So we didn't go on for 20 minutes at least. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so then I'm going to end on my uh, maybe favorite movie, the misspelled favorite. 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 Fancy British shit. Um, but <laughs> uh, this is probably one of my favorite uh, movies though because okay. th th this of the year or of all time uh, want to set the table no okay. not of all time <laughs> all right um of the year uh, my favorite movie of the year was sorry to bother you um uh, which was uh snubbed that and uh, won't you be my neighbor of documentaries count um but no i like this because this was a uh biopic that kind of had the look of barry linden mixed with the audacity of the madness of King George, where this is a film that didn't care about historical accuracy. And if you think, when I walked into the theater and I saw this movie, like, you know, there was like all these old ladies coming in with their husbands and stuff. Because <laughs> they thought they were gonna get like a BBC uh, period drama. Instead of some BDSM or whatever. Yeah, no, anyway. and th that is not what they got at all. And, wow. And, you know, if you know anything about the director, uh, Yargos, Yargos Lathimos, right? Yes, uh, Yargos Lathimos, yeah. Lathimos, yeah. Uh, he, he's the guy who made The Lobster. Uh, what do you else make? Dogtooth? Here's the uh, thing. I did not see his last two movies. Yeah. And I don't know why, because I love Dogtooth. And I'm like, when yeah. I saw that, I'm like, I'm going to watch everything this guy does. And yeah. for some reason, The Lobster and... Uh, was it the killing of a sacred deer last year? Yes. I did not see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I but I did watch either. the favorite, and wow, I gotta go back and catch up on his other stuff. Yeah, because the, the favorite is a period piece drama that does not care about uh, historical accuracy. It's very vocal about it, even through the uh, cast and crew, where mostly its uh, accuracy is based upon hearsay, you know, about the queen and her. Uh, uh, let's just say very intimate relationships with her maidens and uh, th this is a film that is completely unpredictable and if you want something that is juicy not just in terms of lesbian sex but also <laughs> in terms of people backstabbing each other and and uh, a film filled with twists and turns that you don't see coming it is amazing to see and also I have to say that this movie does have a relevance to today because these were people who were in power. This is about Queen Anne and uh, the people who worked under her. I don't know exactly what their status or rank was specifically because I'm stupid and I'm an American. Um, <laughs> but uh, essentially, uh, these were people who were letting the nation die quite literally when they were at war in 17 i think it was 1701 1707 with the I, french I, I missed the uh, the timeline yeah, yeah yeah it was like 1707 with the french and essentially they wanted to continue a war because that was just their own personal interest queen anne was kind of powerless herself and really everybody was just taking the whole nation on a ride for their own personal ego mm -hmm. sound familiar <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I kind of like that subtext of it. I also like that this was a movie 
that was about woman in power, and it was adamantly about them in power, and it didn't, it, it, it was, and it wasn't questioned by any male characters, you know, and it wasn't um, seen as anything different. Even the lesbian relationship, they don't really highlight. Oh my God, they're lesbians. It was more like, well, these people are all in a three-way relationship. What are we gonna do about this? Because yeah. somebody wants to be, just like the title says, the favorite to the queen. Yeah. So this is a film that really kind of floored me, where I didn't see half the stuff that was coming, and I would love to see a more female, uh, commanded-led film that we don't see very often. And really, the men are kind of like the bitches in the movie. <laughs> it's not just the wigs. No. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the, the favorite, uh, I, I feel like I need to see it again because much, I think even, I don't remember, I watched Barry Lyndon like a few months ago for the first time. Yeah. And I want to say that movie had title cards, but I couldn't remember. The, the favorite oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. lands you right in the middle of this palace, in the middle of this war, yeah. with no context. They don't give you, like, say, you know, in, in 1701, the, the, the British no, and the French were they're just fighting. like, figure it out, dumbass. Like, yeah. Because it's more about the relationship between the characters. Right, but it's yeah. important, like, you really have to pay attention. I mean, I know, I get my history from the movies, and I don't watch half the movies that I should have, so I don't know anything <laughs> about history, is what I'm saying. Uh, so I, I was watching this, I was thoroughly intrigued. I had to pay attention. I had to do some mental homework and remember these characters and relationships to each other. I did a Wikipedia sheet. Yeah. Intrigue. Right. Well, I mean, that's yeah. what I like about these kinds of movies yeah. is that after it's over, you're like, this is a historical drama. Like, who was Queen Anne? Who are these characters? And I want to go and read about it. Yeah. Yeah, read more about it. Um, so I, I can't say I loved The Favorite because I feel like it's an unlovable movie. Oh, yeah. No, none of the characters are likable people. They are all fucking horrible people who start and end at the same place. But you know what? Some movies are okay if they do that. Think of There Will Be Blood. Daniel yeah. Plainview starts and ends in the same place. But that movie's great because he's a reflection of American greed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think what I loved about... I loved parts of the movie, but for some reason I can't say that I would watch the favorite you know, eagerly again. I want to see it again, but it's yeah. not like I'm not going to put it on every five years. But what I did like is Emma Stone's character. You know, she's Emma Stone. She has this appearance. You know, she was the, the girl from La La Land, you know, the, the lovable kind of sweetheart yeah. actress. So you think, oh, she's going to come into the situation and kind of vie for power to get in the queen's favor because her, you know, she was wronged, uh, you know, uh, was it... Um, why can I not think of the other Rachel Weisz? Rachel Weisz, yes. Yeah. And Olivia Coleman playing the queen. Yes, she Fantastic was Lady Anne in the film, yes. yes. Yeah, Lady Anne, sorry. Um, yeah. No, it's queen okay. Anne. I only know because I wrote down their names. Well, yeah. it's cheating, but I appreciate that Fuck in a situation like this. <laughs> uh, but no, so you get, she's, uh, Rachel Lady Weisz. Lady Sarah, I got it wrong. Lady Sarah, okay. <laughs> queen Anne. Uh, Queen Anne, ladies. See, they, I'm a dumbass now. Yeah. So uh, Abigail, Emma Stone's character, is the cousins, I think, with yeah. uh, with. Uh, Sarah? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, uh, I had to look this up to understand it, but and also because the old people next to me were like explaining shit to each other, <laughs> like because they're like they're cousins, and I'm like, okay. At first, I thought Rachel Wise, who was banging Queen Anne, I thought like I thought that was like her daughter. I'm like, oh my god, she's fucking her mom. <laughs> and when I saw it. <laughs> Yeah, she's well, a motherfucker. That, but that, then, that brings new context to the term "the favorite." You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, oh, shit. Yeah. So, but so yeah, you get the feeling that Emma Stone is going to be the hero of this movie, and that she just wants to 
you know, use this situation to regain what was right, you know, what was taken from her as yeah. far as status, because she went from being, you know, a member of this perhaps powerful organization to being literally like thrown in the mud, and I think her dad lost her in a poker game or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and you know, horrible things happen to her. But it, you come to find out that she has these deep-seated ambitions, and she will do anything to screw anybody over and make these weird alliances with the the yeah. members of like parliament or whatever. Uh, it's it's fascinating. It's darkly funny. It's very literate. Um, performances are, are wonderful, and I love that that the karmic tectonic plates are constantly shifting. Yeah. So you, at first you think, oh, Rachel Weisz's character, she's awful and evil, and I want to see bad things happen to her. <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, you're like, no, it's kind of Emma Stone that I don't like. I I, I like her less than I like Sarah, even though Just they're all both three kind of, of them are like, terrible awful. people. Well, <laughs> well, Queen Anne, I wonder, I, I can't be mad at her because she, she seems like she's, she's unwell mentally, mentally afflicted. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know what she was like, if she's always been like this or if something's happened. I, I get the feeling it's like some kind of a Well, a she lost like 17 madness. of her children in childbirth. Oh my God, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that'll do it, I imagine. But, yeah. uh, and that, that scene where she was, uh, you know, she cares for these rabbits they're yep. like hopping around everywhere. Which in real life, uh, rabbits were only seen as food or peasants. So mm. that was something that wasn't accurate. But who gives a shit? Because movies are about our feelings. Let's talk about how we feel. And now that, that was the thing about this film. Yeah. yeah. I felt I felt terrible after watching it. But then again, I felt great because I'd seen, you know, some pretty spectacular art. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The cinematography is wonderful. So I love the usage of the fisheye lens. Fish eyes, yes. Because <laughs> I guess, like, some of the old paintings from back then would sort of use that sort of uh, angle, I guess. Uh, as uh, Yargos Latimos was saying, I don't know, it's a foreign name. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, the, he was saying he was sort of going for that sort of look. Well, I, I loved it. It reminded me of like an Escher, you know, drawing a lot of those kind of fisheye compositions mm. because you're in this ornate palace yeah. where nothing really makes sense. It's kind of like being yeah. in Donald Trump's apartment. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gold and gaudy, just, weird just art shit everywhere. Pissing everywhere, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, but also, it, it gave you this feeling like you're looking into something you shouldn't be looking into. Yeah. yeah. And that's what was really nice about it. Like, this is a big eavesdropping film. And yeah. Yeah. It, it, again, it, it's uh, a lot of the all these movies are relevant to today, but I liked how this one was relevant in a way where it was more subtle, you know, where you had to look into it to understand it. It wasn't like Black Klansmen where they're hitting you over the head with a sledgehammer, like remember Charlottesville, <laughs> you know, um, or it wasn't like Green Book, like we can all get along, you know. This was more like these are people who have giant egos, mm -hmm. and people are losing their lives or losing their money all because they want to satisfy this other woman's ego. And in the end, Emma Stone learns from her own sins, which I didn't understand at first. I thought she was, you know, giving her a little, but <laughs> she was just rubbing her leg because yeah. in the end she was just a servant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she had been uh, enslaved in a way that uh, Sarah had broken free. Yeah. Uh, and there's that one wonderful line where she said, you think you've won. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it, the other thing that's in terms of relevancy today to today is there's a lot of talk about the patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that this movie presents is an idea of examining what is patriarchy versus what is power and yeah. looking back toward you know through history because arguably there was not a patriarchy in effect yeah. under Queen Anne. You could say that she was being manipulated by forces all around her, but those were largely female led forces. You know, yeah. the, the the real uh, power head at the, the you know 
the, the driving force in this movie is Rachel Weisz's Sarah. She's yeah. smarter than everybody else in the movie. She's more cunning and she's more daring, and she's able to wield that power through this puppet. So yeah. you kind of you, you look at the the modern context of everything has always been you know ruled by men for as long as you know people have been in existence, and that's not exactly true. Yeah, and I think we were talking about looking up things after the movie's over. This is the kind of thing that kind of opened up my brain. I'm like, yeah. I, I want to know more about this and how things got to be the way that they are today. Yeah, coming from roots such as this. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll end on that note. Um, I think uh, if you were to pick your favorite movie of, maybe not of the year, but out of these All categories. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Reachable. Um, um, but uh, uh, of these categories, what, what would, uh, which, which one would you choose the eights? You know, it's, it's weird. I'm probably going to say Green Book. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. But that's the thing is I don't really have a favorite out of these movies. I mean, it'd probably be like Green Book and The Favorite would probably yeah. tie oddly, but I don't have an emotional connection with them. The only movie I really care about this year is uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse winning Best That animated. movie was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. That like, movie was like, that was a blunder of creativity. Like, even visually, like, we're yeah. fucking, like, shit's just flashing all over the place in different colors. They're making fun of the origin story, like, eight different times. Yeah. Like, that movie was an orgy of creativity. Yeah, and, and it's about oh. something. It's about ideas, and it's a breakthrough in animation. Like, it's also that and A Quiet Place, which wasn't nominated yeah. for anything. Those two movies this last year created unique movie-going experiences. Yeah. People say, ah, oh, movies are dead. You know, people don't watch things on their phones. You can't get the full effect yeah. of those movies unless you see them in a theater with a crowd. Exactly. Oh, man, you got to see Sorry to Bother You with a crowd because that movie didn't get nominated because that is like a fuck corporate... Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. It right. is a, it's an amazing... It is, yeah, it is. No, you're right. Ashley was talking about it. It is amazing because that movie won't... Our camera woman, uh, Ashley, is talking about it. It's such a good movie because it is a fuck corporate America movie. So well, when they literally turn people into work horses, like little horses in it, like a human centipede situation. Or yeah, like wow. like, like not, 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 they don't like glue each other, but they turn into fucking horses. Okay. And it, oh my god, but it's so insane and bizarre. Like the Academy always always allows for like one bizarre film, and that was um, the favorite. But that just straddled the line where it was bizarre enough, but you could still handle it. Right. It didn't go like full lobster or anything, right? So, like, this movie goes a little lobster in the end. But, yeah, that, that was amazing. I mean, uh, and, of course, documentary category, uh, I, uh, I'm so pissed that they didn't nominate Mr. Rogers. Apparently, they didn't want them to be his their neighbor. Fucking assholes. <laughs> um, and uh, They Shall Not Grow Old was also... Uh, gypped. I want to. I want to see that. Uh, oh, I, I've not seen so either good. of those movies. The Mister Rogers one is only because I haven't yeah. talked to anybody who's watched it who has not told me. Oh my God! I couldn't. I could barely handle it. I was a wreck at the end. Like as a complete that's, emotional. Like that's overhyped. Okay. That's a little overhyped. Now maybe yeah. I just need to get new friends. Yeah. yeah um, so you're saying you you watched it with a with a balanced emotional perspective and you yeah. still thought it was great. Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah, you definitely kind of like if you watch Black Klansman, you're going to have, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's like Trump. They're building a wall. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's, it's, um, it's something where it's special because it teaches empathy that is not taught a lot. And it's uh, something that values individuality where you're special for just the way you are. 
and you don't have to become famous to be that. I think Billy yeah. Joel said that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, outside of that, oh god, I could go on forever. We could talk about how they gypped the fundamentals of cinematography and editing. Uh, oh, by putting in the breaks. commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You know, it, it is that if, <laughs> if there's any doubt that this is a popularity contest and not about the art of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that they're sticking editing and cinematography and, you know, uh, watch watch the In-N-Out Burger commercial uh, instead of seeing these, uh, these yeah. artists get well, their Well, due. that's the thing. The Academy has always been that way, but it just got worse over time. And now that there's more number, like the Golden Globes used to just be a private dinner. You know, and now it's this televised thing, which they, hey, you know what? If you want to cut out cinematography and editing, then take out the fucking television categories from the Golden Globes. Come on, let's go the whole nine yards. Well, Fuck it. Here's the thing. Yeah. They're not going to even have a host this year, which, yeah. you know, that, that's a whole other tangent, yeah. right? But, like, you could say, I can understand, okay, we got to fit in Kevin Hart or whoever and their bits and the musical comedy yeah. or whatever. They're not having a host. So put cinematography and editing back into the show yeah. proper. Yeah, if you're not going to have a host, what was that one year they had the Oscars where they they actually literally took the categories, they had people come on the stage and they combined them together and then they left. It was like in 2003 or something, or 2002. I don't know. But it was bad, yeah. <laughs> I remembered it so well. Um, but gosh, all right, outside of that, I uh, am going to work on set this year and not see the Oscars because... I yell at it like a football game, and uh, <laughs> I literally do. That's like, that's great. Yeah, I, I wish we I could get that get, emotionally invested in it. We should we should just get footage of that and put it on the show. Yeah, say in the comments if you want that. If you want to see me literally scream at the Oscars legitimately, but I I want to yeah. see it. I'll I'll put that in the yeah. comments. <laughs> no, but Ian, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This Check has out been Kicking awesome. the Seat podcast, or is it kicking with the Exclamation or the apostrophe? Words. Apostrophe. No, again. it's just kicking the seat. Kicking the you can seat. See kickseat.com or iTunes uh, kicking the seat podcast. The yes. link will be in the description below. Yay. You know, uh, I'll Facebook message him and ask him for that. And then, uh, um, um, this is, you'll probably agree. Uh, you'll probably aren't watching this anyway, so who gives a shit? And, uh, <laughs> We will be up with our website soon at ypareviews.com where you can see my written reviews for various films. All right, thanks a lot, guys, and you'll probably agree. <laughs> <laughs>